Power Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's innovative hidden screen folds away when closed, keeping it clean while bringing in a ton more sun. Choose 0% financing for 72 months or a free upgrade to the hidden screen on our 250 series. Visit PowerWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. A lot of ground to cover today. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. A number of topics that I've tweeted on we will talk about over the course of the next couple hours. But I want to... I want to start off the program on <clears throat> some, what I would describe as somewhat of a lighter note, I guess. Um, do you remember the old Southwest Airline commercials where they would have, you know, the, the you want to get away ads, you know, where they would show somebody doing something that was incredibly embarrassing and they just kind of stood there and the, and the tagline was, you want to get away and then fly on Southwest Airlines. I had my you want to get away moment yesterday. Okay, so true. this is a true story. It, it, it is... It's one of those where I, I, I'm still, I'm sitting here hours and hours later going, I can't believe that I, I did this. So, so here's the deal. Last night, we, my wife Fran and I, went out to dinner with three other couples, including our, our very dear friends, Mike and Kathy. So, um, and my friend Kathy, uh, we grew up in, in the same neighborhood together, uh, although we didn't know each other. She's a couple years older than I am. And I, I really, one of the, the pleasures, her and my, Kathy and my wife are truly wonderful people. They, um, they, they are selfless. And I, and I say that they really, they think of, they're, they're kind of like sisters from a different mother. They, they talk about that a, a lot. And one of the real joys that I've had is getting to know Kathy, you know, through, through Fran and stuff. And Kathy's one of these people who is really very, always, you know, concerned about, uh, do, you know, are, are other people having a good time? What can I do to other people? And, and she's the kind of person that you have a big party and she's like, well, I had six types of beer, but I, I knew so and so drank Miller Light. And I couldn't believe I didn't have a Miller Light for him. I only had Bud Light and, you know, Coors Light or whatever. That, that's the type of person she is. Really, really very nice person. Um, so we, we go out to dinner last night and she is, she she dresses impeccably, and so she's out to dinner, and we were going to a, a casual place in downtown Milwaukee, and Kathy is wearing this, this very, very nice pink blouse, and she's got this, this white skirt on, and, and Kathy's always very, very well-dressed, and it's, 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 a, it's a great look. Okay, so we get to the restaurant, and we meet up with the two other couples, so there's, there's eight of us, and it's a small restaurant, and the the table it's really not it's really not geared i think for eight people but they're they're going to accommodate us but the the table isn't ready so the restaurant doesn't have a bar per se but they they serve alcohol so we're we're waiting for the table and we're kind of in the the foyer of of the restaurant and there's plenty of room so one of the guys i'm with orders a orders a bottle of wine and they come out and they bring everybody like glasses so you know i i am not as a general rule a wine drinker i i prefer you know, gin or bourbon or, or beer or things like that, but it's it, it's fine. I mean, everybody's drinking wine. I'll have a glass of wine, and then when I get to the table, and I'll I'll order something else. So I'm standing there with my glass of wine, and everything's fine. So it's, it's all good and all good. So ultimately, um, our table is ready. So the table is in the back against the far wall, and it's a long rectangular table. So I go to sit down at one end of the table and I'm kind of cramped into this corner. It's a it's a narrow table and like I say it's probably a table 
these are two tables for four that they put t- together. So I, I, I'm kind of in the back, and I'm in this corner, and we were going to sit boy, girl, boy, girl. So my friend Kathy is sliding in against the wall on these like these banquet seats, banquet seats on on the to my right, and one of my other friends, uh, Julia, who she's going to be on my left, and Fran's down the ways a little bit, and so we're sitting there. So we're we're everybody's just starting to get situated. I have my glass of red wine that's still probably a full glass sitting in front of me my friend julia who is on my left she sits her glass down and puts it right on the end of the table and i'm I'm trying to do a good thing i'm trying to do a good thing i look over and i see this glass is right on the edge of the table and i'm afraid it is going to fall off so i i kind of turn around and i i go i grab her glass and i'm going to just move it over so it doesn't fall off as God is my witness, I do not know what happened at this point in time, but somehow in moving Julia's glass a little bit to the right, I kind of turn and my glass of full red wine, I spill it. Now, there are spills like, okay, you know, you, you slosh a little over the top. There are spills where you, you might start to knock the glass over and then you, you're able to grab it. And then... This is the B-52 bomber of spills. I, 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 I didn't just spill it. I must have, and I still don't know how I did it. I whacked the wine glass, the, the full of red wine. It goes airborne. Now, some of it ends up on the wall behind Kathy, but most of it ends up in Kathy's lap, all over this very nice pink blouse she had on. But more importantly, that this... This white skirt that she was wearing, it is now tie-dye. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it, it, it is literally like I took an entire glass of red wine and just threw it on her. That's kind of what it is. There, there, there's, there's a little bit that spilled on the table. Like I say, there's some on the wall because it went airborne, but it's just all over her. And I, I admit, I then, I, I'm paralyzed by the, this entire thing. Everybody else is running around. We need towels, whatever. I'm just, I'm sitting there going, I cannot believe I've done this, just waiting for the earth to, to open up and su- and swallow me, thinking, okay, you, this is, I should be in that you want to get away commercial. And of course, she, she and my wife go into the ladies room. God knows what's going on there, but you're, you're trying to salvage this. And of course, this is at the start of dinner. So you're, you're going to be now. <laughs> sitting around for the next hour and a half or whatever it's going to be, you know, covered in in red wine. And it's just, I'm apologizing profusely. I still don't exactly know how it was that I did it, but it's kind of like I, I want the earth to just sort of swallow me up. Where, where do you go when you, you do something like that? We're, we're supposed to go to an event with them on Saturday night. And I, I, I promised her, I said, look, okay, if, if we're sitting anywhere close to each other, we'll be at the same table. I promise I, I'm, I'm only drinking clear liquids. There, there's no more red wine. I'm cut off. I will never in her presence drink red wine again. It's always, it's, it's, it's going to be gin or it's going to be club soda or whatever that's going to be. It's, I, it, but it was like, oh, and of course she was incredibly gracious, but Man, I'm like, I cannot believe I did this. This is the second, the, these these events haunt me. The last time something like this happened to me, and it is a true story, was 26 years ago. I remember it vividly because I am, I am at a, a political breakfast, and I am at a round table sitting next to me is the, at the time, governor of the state of Texas, 
who went on to be the president of the United States, George Bush, George W. Bush. He is sitting to my left. This is when he's the governor of Texas. And we're at this breakfast. And um, it's one of those things where, you know, they put the, the plastic coffee pots, they put the coffee pots out on the table, you know, and you and you pour it and you you surf yourself. Okay, so I'm sitting next to Governor Bush. I didn't know he was going to be the president of the United States four years later. I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and, you know, people are talking, and I, I, I want another cup of coffee. So I go to grab the, the, the coffee pot. You know, it's got the little plastic lid on it, and I kind of turn it up, and it, it, it obviously hadn't it wasn't completely full because i turned it up and no coffee's coming out so i turn it a, i increase it i turn it up a little higher at a higher angle still no coffee coming up so then i turn it at a pretty good angle and the coffee comes pouring out into my coffee cup all over the table and mostly over the lap of governor soon to be president bush and it was in this is, i vividly remember this this is the summer of 1996 and i'm thinking oh my gosh i um after he became president, this was like five or six years later, I, I, I had an opportunity to be at an event and chatting with him. And I said, Mr. President, I'm, you probably don't remember me, but you remember when we were at so-and-so, I, I, and there, there was somebody that, that like dumped hot coffee all over your lap? I said, that was me. And he was very gracious. He said, well, truthfully, I don't remember you, but I do remember getting hot coffee <laughs> dropped all over my lap. I said, thank you, Mr. President. But that's this is what happened last night. Literally, this is in the, the same vein. So my friend Kathy, this is kind of my public apology. Again, if you're if you're sitting at a dinner table with me or something like that and you see me with red wine, just remind me, Jeff, there is a reason why you do not drink red wine, and this is probably it. So that's kind of my shout-out, and I definitely wanted to get away. I'm actually going to send out a tweet with a link to some of those Southwest You Want to Get Away commercials because I know how they feel. All right, when we come back, serious notes. Stick around. This is WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One of our texters says, Jeff, has ever, anyone ever referred to you as a klutz? Well, no, I, I actually, I, I don't think of myself as a klutz, but I, I am willing to acknowledge that uh, yet yesterday was certainly a klutzy um, experience. Jeff, while it wasn't red wine, my wife knocked a full glass of Coke over her menu. The entire glass landed in a friend's lap who was sitting across the table from her. When he jumped up to try and get out of the way, his chair, chair caught, flipped back, and he ended up sitting on the floor with soda running off the table onto his shirt and pants. Not red, but extremely sticky. Yeah, that's the... Um, that's the thing. Jeff, I was with someone at Oktoberfest in Glendale a year ago who spilled a large mug of dark beer all over a guy's white pants. Um, we didn't even know the guy. I didn't even do it, but um, I felt kind of bad. Yeah, that's, you know, that's uh, that that's the question. And and the, 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 the truth of the matter is, I don't think I'd had but a sip out of it. It wasn't, so I can't even say I'd, I'd been drinking because I really hadn't. Oh, well. We all have to be able to laugh at ourselves, right? And hopefully she will forgive me and should feel free to send me the dry cleaning bill if you could even salvage this. That's the question. All right. Uh, Lots of stuff has happened since we last spoke. Let's, Let's start with the decision today involving special prosecutors and former Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Mensa. You will recall Joseph Mensa, very, very controversial officer who had been involved in three shootings 
during a five-year period. Some people suggested, well, that means he's just he's trigger happy. I, I think the truth of the matter is he just, and I think the former police chief in Wauwatosa would say the same thing, he just had the unfortunate circumstance of finding himself in a bad situation on a couple different occasions. In any event, spe- here, here's what happened. Um, 2016, June 23rd, 2016, he is on patrol. And he's in um, Madison Park, which is in Wauwatosa. Um, and his, his assignment is, okay, we're, we're looking for people who are loitering or things like that. So he's driving a marked squad. He, he's in his, his uniform. And he comes upon this car that is parked in the parking lot. And he sees that there's somebody sitting behind the wheel. So he goes up to, the, the park is closed. He goes up to the driver. The driver turns out to be somebody named Jay Anderson. He calls this in to his dispatcher and he says, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do this. So he approaches, he goes to the passenger door of the car. He shines in the passenger and he sees, okay, it's just the, this one guy that's in there. So he bangs on the the window and says, um, Wauwatosa police, you know, wake up. I've got to talk to you. The driver then kind of wakes up, turns the key on the ignition, lets down the front passenger window and, and has a conversation with the officer. What happens at that point in time is Officer Mensa notices that there is a handgun on the passenger seat next to Jay Anderson. So the guy's in the park, there, there's, and there's a gun on the passenger seat. At this point in time, Officer Mensa pulls back, pulls out his weapon, orders Mr. Anderson to raise his hands and don't reach for the weapon. He's also calling for backup. All right, now at this point in time, and I'm quoting exactly from the police report on this, um, he, he says, raise your hands and... Mr. Anderson raises his hands above his shoulders, initially complying. But on multiple occasions, he then starts to lower his right arm while leaning towards the front passenger seat where the gun is. Now, Officer Mensa says, stop this. Don't reach for the weapon. Keep your hands up. And after a couple times, what happens is Anderson then lowers his right hand and starts to uh, the description of the police report is is kind of lunge for the gun. At that point in time, Officer Mensa shoots him and, and kills him. Uh, the gun was found to be loaded. I think there were like 16 shots in it. Um, Officer Mensa shoots and kills Mr. Anderson. Unfortunate set of, of circumstances. The district attorney's office looks at the case. John Chisholm's office looks at the case, and they find there's no basis to bring criminal charges, that this is a case of a justified shooting, that the officer had a legitimate concern for self-defense. There's this guy. He's got the gun. He's reaching for the gun. They decline charges. The United States Department of Justice is brought in. They're asked to review the case. They find that there's no civil rights violation. All right, they find it's a legitimate shooting. It's an unfortunate situation, but under the circumstances, it's fine. The family of Mr. Anderson and the attorneys aren't happy with this. So they find a Milwaukee Circuit Court judge, Glenn um, Yama, uh, Yamahiro, and 
the way the law works in Wisconsin is if a district attorney's office won't charge, you can go to a judge and you can ask a judge to, to bring charges. So they present these facts to the judge in a decision that I thought was always curious and legally questionable. The judge says, well, I think there might be probable cause to bring charges. So the judge appoints special prosecutors to go out and look at this case after the feds have reviewed it and after the DA's office has reviewed it. And the breaking news today is the special prosecutors have said there, there's no basis to to issue charges here because, you know, we've reviewed this thoroughly. We've showed it to a bunch of witnesses. We've shown it to experts. And the general conclusion is that, you know, we, we think that, you know, people – Reasonable people would look at this and say, hey, the, the guy had a fear for his his safety because it, it appears it would be reasonable to believe that the man was reaching for, for the gun. And therefore, he had every right to exercise self-defense. And they say, we, we just don't think we could get a conviction under these circumstances. So they have now declined prosecution. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that Mensa, who is, by the way, now working for the Waukesha Sheriff's Department, he, controversial figure, controversial figure in Wauwatosa, who is the subject of all sorts of complaints. Um, Nobody has ever found this guy was involved in wrongdoing. So my question is, at this point in time, now that in this particular shooting instance, once again, that they found there's no basis to bring criminal charges and the shooting was appropriate. Can we please end this, this Mensa witch hunt once and, and forever? I mean, how, at this point in time, can we now finally say, okay, we're going to move on from this. We're going to let him move on with his life. It is unfortunate. There's no police officer in the world that likes to use his service weapon and likes to be involved in a shooting. I will tell you that. Nobody does that. It is a course of last resort. But now that the DA's office has reviewed it, now that the feds have reviewed it, now that a special prosecutor has reviewed it, can we finally say enough is enough and let this man get on with his life and his career? 855-616-1620. We discuss. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a link to lots of stories that I, I find to be interesting, but I, I don't know if we're going to be able to discuss in detail on, on the program. So that's kind of what I use it. And there's a yesterday on the show, we, we spent at least one segment talking about President Biden, who in remarks to the White House staff on the White the White House report, reporters on the White House lawn, said that you know he, he thought maybe it was time to to ban nine millimeter weapons. And, of course, that everybody was saying, are you talking about banning 9-millimeter handguns, which are the most popular form of handgun, and there are you know, tens of millions of them in, in possession. It's the, um, the, it is by far and away among handgun owners, I, I think 60% of people have these have 9-millimeter or similar type of firearms. And, of course, this, this raised all sorts of issues. Are, are you really – did you mean that you, you think you should ban the AR-15 semi-automatic style weapons, or are you really talking about handguns, which is a, a very, very big deal? Well – um, and I've got a link to the story. Apparently, the, the aides are saying that once again, Joe Biden misspoke and he doesn't support banning nine millimeter handguns. And just like he when he said he he wanted to 
he thought Vladimir Putin needed to be taken out. He didn't mean that. Or when he said that we're going to use force to defend Taiwan, he, he didn't mean that. And uh, there's actually an interesting story about this, you know, talking about, you know, gaff prone guy, Biden. And, you know, I think one of the things, and whenever I put stuff like that up, I, I hear these as well, you know, Trump said all sorts of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I thought... I thought that one of the reasons people moved from Donald Trump to Joe Biden was because they were they were tired of the chaos. They were tired of the just, you know, shooting from the, the hip. They were tired with uh, of, of some of the sort of silly things that kind of came off when you know, Donald Trump started talking off the top of his head. And we, we wanted more than that. We wanted grownups. Well, now you've got Joe Biden, who's apparently doing the same thing. But in his case, you know, he, he's talking about, gee, we, we might we might put boots on the ground to go to war with China or, you know, we, we want to have regime change, which means taking out Vladimir Putin or we're, we're thinking about banning nine millimeter handguns. It's it's with, with Trump. Yeah, he did a lot of that stuff. And you kind of roll your eyes and you thought, well, he can't be serious about it. Biden gives every impression of wanting to be serious about it. So got a link to one of those stories. It's it's not wasn't a very Churchillian moment yesterday. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. All right. People are pigs. Now, individually, an individual person might be very neat. And and maybe you are one of those people who's very neat. But there's something about people collectively when you get a large group together that they become just complete and total slobs and there's two stories that are out there reflecting this one which was on fox six last night and um memorial day a lot of people more nice weekend a lot of people went to the parks and the the story is that that the parks were left in an absolute total disastrous situation after Memorial Day. Um, for example, the Fox 6 goes out and they're talking about McCarty Park, for example. And apparently McCarty Park was just covered with litter. People leaving, you know, everything behind. People just, you know, taking, you know, all their, their party stuff and then leaving the garbage behind. Now, I'm sure not everybody did it, but a lot of people did. And, of course, you've got the park staff, which is short-staffed to begin with. And so now, instead of doing the stuff that they're supposed to be doing, like mowing lawns and things like that, they're, you know, now these park workers are, are having to clean up other people's garbage because they just left it. The other stories in the Journal Sentinel. Here's the headline. Illegal dumping in Milwaukee County parks costs tens of thousands of dollars and it's growing exponentially. And they're talking about how the Milwaukee County parks have essentially become a trash dump for for people and they talk about it how it's increasing it's exponential so it's not just here people are going out on memorial day and they're having their picnic and they're leaving all their crap behind but apparently they're saying entire homes or apartments are being emptied out carpets mattresses small furniture appliances are are common and then they're finding yard waste lots of times people will dump yard waste into some of the native areas in the park and so what what's happening is in, in an effort to clean this all up you know once again they're having to divert workers to pick up the stuff and the bills for this are running into the tens of thousands of dollars because people are just slobs. 
I was talking to one of my colleagues who who regularly commutes, you know, on on city streets. And she was saying to me, Jeff, you will not believe that the type of stuff I see on a regular basis just driving around from where I live to driving to work, that there's just there's garbage all over. People are just whether they're throwing stuff out of their car windows. It's just like nobody cares. And this, to me, it's not an economic thing. I mean, I think it cuts across all economic levels. Uh, and and it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. There's no excuse to be a pig. And yet that's what's happening on a regular basis. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you seeing this as well? And I guess I have a related question, which, which is, look, I understand people have always littered, but Many people are saying it's worse now than it ever was. Just people leaving their garbage wherever and expecting that other people are going to pick it up. And I, I admit it, it's just it is a far other than I mean, I guess the one explanation is that you're just you're, you're just purely lazy. You know, you're, you're whenever whenever we go to a public park or a public facility, one of the things we always take along is a trash bag. Okay, and and then when it's time to leave, we put all our stuff in the trash bag and we take the trash bag and we put it in one of the trash receptacles. And if the trash cans are full, we, we take the garbage bag with us and we take it home and we put it out with our trash. Is that too much to ask? 855-616-1620. And I, one of the things that frustrates me about this is I, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, you could tell people don't be pigs, but if people are inclined to be slobs and be pigs, I don't know what you do with them. Yes, can you find them? I, I guess you can do that. But there, there's something going on where people just don't flat out care if you're just going to go and you're going to just leave your garbage. Hey, we're going to go have a Memorial Day picnic. We don't need to clean up. Let's leave beer cans and let's leave the charcoal and let's leave all this crap in the public park. 855-616-1620 without even thinking about, hey, I, I've got some I've got some junk. I'm just going to go dump it in the public park. 855-616-1620. Have you seen this? What's going on? We discuss. Want to get away? So glad to have you with us. You know, I was telling a story earlier when I was talking to Scott Wars before the show. I mean, I can remember one, it was a 4th of July morning. I was driving down Lincoln Memorial Drive. I was going to do the 8.30 to noon shift um, at, from Summerfest back when we, we were live on the 4th of July and back when they had Summerfest on the 4th of July. And I, I remember after the 3rd of July fireworks, I have never, it was a sea of garbage. It literally, it was a, everybody had gone to watch the July 3rd fireworks and it looked like nobody had picked up after themselves. And, and you knew to, just to clean up, this was going to be, you were going to need an army of people and it was going to take them hours and hours and hours to clean up because people just left their garbage all over. And, and that was a number of years ago and it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And I guess I'm, if I sound frustrated, I, I am because there's, there's just no excuse to be a, Pig, 855-616-1620. And now it's gotten worse because now it's just not people leaving their garbage behind after they go to the parks on Memorial Day or whatever. Now it's people saying public parks, hey, I'm, I've got, I've got lawn waste or I've got, I've got an old refrigerator. I've got some mattresses I want to get rid of. And, you know, who, who wants to go get a dumpster and have it hauled away? I'm just going to drive it out at three o'clock in the morning and throw it off on the roadside. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. In previous jobs, I've had to clean up college dorms, classrooms, and movie theaters, the worst by far being The Little Mermaid. And 
I have. I totally agree with you. People are pigs, and I think one reason why people are so messy is because they falsely assume that custodians or garbage people or whoever people that are are paid just to clean up their messes, and so they can be as messy as they want to without any consequences. Hmm. I. I, I mean, you you kind of wonder where the, this attitude though comes from, Jeff. I mean, I, I just. My, if if I was out at a picnic with my parents and, and I just like threw some soda cans on the ground or something, I, my mom would be saying, Jeff, what are you thinking? Pick those up, put them in the garbage can or whatever. But I guess maybe we just figure that somebody, it's somebody else's problem, huh? Well, when I was substitute teaching, I, many times I would see a kid throw something on the floor and I would tell him or her to pick it up. And then they they would say, well, well, the janitors will do that. That's what that's what they're here for. And then I would have to correct them and say, no, that's not what they're here for. They're not your manservants. They're <laughs> here to keep the building in order. Well, right, no, right. Thanks, thanks for calling. Yeah, they're they're not there to pick up after you, Jeff. This doesn't surprise me. I live on a busier road, and I have to go out on a daily basis and pick up fast food garbage or empty beer cans, etc., that people toss out their windows as they drive by. It's a lightly populated area, and I've seen people dump mattresses and couches on the side of the road. It's absolutely disgusting. Jeff, I live a couple blocks from McCarty Park. Um, I cringe when I see people having picnics and parties. I know what it's going to be like when they leave. Jeff, I just think people in general are terribly lazy and inconsiderate. I put part, I think part of it stems from today's parents not making their kids do any kind of chores. So if people have been raised not having to pick up after themselves, why are you surprised at this? Well, I mean, I think there's a, a factor. Um, Jeff, I contract with several local commercial property owners to keep their parking lots clean. Um, one of the most disgusting things I see almost daily are women who change their kids' diapers and then just drop the dirty diaper wherever they are parked. Ooh, <laughs> you know, I mean... Really? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Scott in Wauwatosa. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Uh, I hit the jackpot when you came up with this subject because uh, I just remember back when my dad, you know, he would smoke cigarettes back in the 80s, you know, and start launching, uh, you know, the plastic off of the cigarette out of a lime green Ford LTD. And like, <laughs> Dad, what are you doing? You know, the world's not your garbage can, okay? Right. I got him to stop. But, you know, I'm 47 now, and I just, I can't stand, you know, they're not pigs, they're scum. Because, you know, like you said, diapers. I work at a local uh, uh, liquor store part-time, and I'm constantly cleaning up the uh, parking lot with, uh, you know, like, a, like the lady said, diapers, uh, yeah. crushed beer cans, cigarette butts. And it's like a nightly thing, you know. And McDonald's is right next door, so I'm sure you know which liquor store I'm talking about. Right. So you got stuff all the time, and, you know, there's three garbage cans on the facility, yeah. uh, parking lot, okay? And they're too and lazy to go to those garbage I, cans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing that I disagree with the guy from Fox Point in, in one aspect, people don't care. They don't think, yeah, the garbage can or the garbage uh, guy is going to pick it up or the custodian is going to pick it up. They don't give us you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's to the point where people don't care about anybody but themselves. And I disagree with you in one little point where every economic, uh, you know, culture, yeah. it's not. 
you go to certain parts of the city, it looks like a garbage can. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, right. You, know, you could be. No, thanks. I mean, you could be right. Look, I, I guess my, my point was, see, it, to me, it's not a justification. I, I think, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You, you know, you have an obligation to clean up after yourself. I, I do. I mean, obviously, there, there's probably some areas that are worse than others, but I think it's bad in general. And it's and maybe you know, somebody's texting me saying, OK, well, you got to understand some of the dumping. People are just doing that to try to avoid fees or things like that. So it is economically based. I look, the, the, the bottom line is you can't just be throwing your old mattresses and couches off the, the side of the road. Eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, twenty. Let's talk to Carol in Madison. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I work for a building inspection department up here in, in Dane County, Madison area, and uh, um, it's got increasingly bad. People just dump their stuff at the curbs. They, we've got a lot of property owners with vacant lots where people will just dump their crap out there, you know, toward the back of the lot, so it's kind of, ooh hidden, but it's still on somebody <laughs> else's property. Right. And, you know, and then, uh, and so then we have to, you know, site, contact the property owner. You've got stuff dumped out here. But the others that we catch that are property owners just dumping broken refrigerators, broken whatever, they leave it at the curb, they leave it wherever. Their response is, well, I, I pay taxes. This is covered in my taxes. And it's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> there, there's getting to be a real sense of entitlement that we've seen over the past, you know, eight, 10 years that. I can just dump my stuff and somebody else will take care of me. That's what public works is for. That's what the garbage companies are for. And they just don't understand that's not what it's for. And then they get really mad when they get their $187 ticket mail for leaving it there. So Well, good. But no, but, that, but that's it. I mean, there, there needs to be penalties for this, this kind of stuff because it, it hurts everybody. I mean, it, it's, it, 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 you trash a public park. And, and you leave it, well, okay, we're all paying for that because you have to either hire outside people to come in and clean it or you have to take people away from mowing lawns or cutting trees or whatever they're supposed to be doing just to pick up other people's garbage. And it's just fundamentally wrong. And, and that's it exactly because then they get mad. You know, well, how come the parks aren't being kept up? Well, we had to take people away from one thing to do another. We will rope open garbage bags, though, and some people leave their mail in there, so oh. we know where the garbage came from. <laughs> good. good. Thanks. For good for you, Carol. Good for you. Pete in Racine. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Pete. So I'm a 4-H leader. I'm a 4-H leader in rural Racine County, and we do a, a community service. Right. How much garbage do we have twice a year? We do it spring and we do it fall, and we still have pickup truck bed of garbage twice a year we only cover a couple of miles of road yeah and uh the one thing you didn't bring up is, is tires because people have to pay to get rid of tires and somebody's got to pay for it so when we go through uh, we end up paying for it to get rid of this garbage so uh, yeah. yeah it's just amazing how much there is yeah, it's Pete. Well, first of all, thanks for the call, and, and I pre- you're doing God's work. I mean, I and I always see that when, like, on Saturday mornings, when you've got the the volunteers that are out along the freeway, you know, cleaning up stuff and, and picking up the the trash and all. And I I appreciate that. It, it just, but it shouldn't be like that. And again, I 
I, I always hate having these conversations where I, I don't have an answer. I like to, I like to, we, we talk about a problem. I give you what my solution is. You can agree with me or you can disagree with me. Uh, but, but I don't have an answer to this other than just calling this out. And maybe there's a degree of public shaming. And I, I love what Carol was talking about where, you know, you, hey, okay, we, we find all this garbage that's out there and it's dumped. And here we open up the trash bag and it's got somebody's phone bill in it. We're, we're sending them a bill for this type of stuff. There needs to be a degree of public shaming. Now, I don't know. Is it possible to shame people who have no shame? And I guess I'm thinking if you're if you're dumping your mattresses and your tires and your old refrigerators in a county park or something, thinking you're not going to get caught, or you go and you, you leave all your beer cans and your dirty diapers and things like that, if you just walk away from it, I, I don't know if it, you, you have no shame, so I don't know if being called out publicly for being a pig is going to make any difference at all. But it, we're moving into the summer season, so is it too much to ask when you go to enjoy some of the great stuff we have outdoors? Is it too much to ask to take a damn garbage bag with you and I don't know fill it up and then when you leave just take that garbage bag with you and if the trash cans are full take it home and put it out with your own garbage is that too much to ask hopefully not live from the annex wealth management studios this is the Jeff Wagner show and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner good afternoon Wisconsin welcome back to the show I um again if you follow me on Twitter, lots of stuff up there. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But I, I also I, I kinda call attention to some interesting stories and I will I will say this. Fox six has been doing some really, really interesting work, I think, when it comes to, to crime issues. They've they've taken up a, a challenge that I sort of issued, and I, I doubt it's because I issued it, but they're they're, they're focusing, for example, on, on not just when a crime is committed, but looking at who's accused of it and, and raising questions about, gee, what, what's the person's background? And surprise follows surprise. You're finding a lot of times that somebody who is c- accused of committing a horrendous crime, they're out on bail, or and in many cases, it's ridiculously low bail. What, they, they had a story yesterday, and I've, I've, again, I've got a link to it on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 but it's there's two dazzling details, and I wanted to share the story with you. The headline is Milwaukee Mitchell Airport car thefts, two arrested. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I admittedly I obsess over the issue of of car thefts because, you know, in the city of Milwaukee, somewhere between 22 and 24 or 25 cars are stolen a day every day it is staggering to me how many cars are stolen and the vast majority of the car thieves are never caught and the ones that are caught are rarely prosecuted if they're juveniles nothing happens to them at all and it's an ongoing frustration and i've i've talked about people i've known for example who who've had their car stolen and it's it's not a victimless crime it's it's a big deal for a, a lot of people who maybe don't have a second car, all of a sudden your car is gone. First of all, you're viol- you know, you, you feel violated because your stuff is taken, but then it's the inconvenience. It's not just the insurance deductible, but it's, hey, you, you, you've, you've got to get your, you got to get your car replaced or, in the case of a friend of mine, they, they find the car a day later and it's it's almost totaled, but not quite. So it takes six weeks to repair and you, you know, the insurance pays for your rental car for 30 days. After that, you're kind of on your own. So but but this this is a different aspect of the car theft story. Milwaukee Mitchell Airport car thefts to arrested. Two are in custody connected with a string of car thefts from Milwaukee Mitchell International Airport. The sheriff's office says 20 vehicles have been stolen from the 
parking structure since the start of 2021. Now, that caught my attention because it costs a lot of money to leave your car at, at the parking structure at Mitchell Field, at, at the airport. And, and that that's fine. It It is not a cheap proposition. One of the things that I have always felt, though, when I, I leave my car there, if we're you know going on a week trip or something like that, I, I've always, as in general, felt, hey, at least this is going to be secure. They've got cameras up all over. I guess I was unaware that you have this many, and it's not just one or two, 20-plus cars stolen since the start of 2021. The investigation, the story continues, now spans several counties. A woman in Kenosha County is charged with multiple counts of altering or removing vehicle ID numbers. She's also charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering. Prosecutors say license plates found near her Kenosha apartment were from a Jeep stolen from the Mitchell Airport parking structure. You would expect there would be decent security at an airport where you're paying decent money to park, said a theft victim who did not want to be identified, to which I would say, yeah. On March 8th, he parked his beloved 2018 Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk at the Mitchell International parking structure. I was a little bit obsessed with it, he said. I'm not a huge car person, but I really liked it. Two days later, while at Disney World, he got a call from the sheriff's office. Someone had driven his Trackhawk out of the gate. It was really heartbreaking, he said. It took me several months to even find the car. Sheriff's office says 20 cars have been stolen out of the parking structure since the start of 2021. Count, court records say the thieves are targeting Ram pickups or Jeep Grand Cherokees, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then, again, they the, the license plate for the Trackhawk is part of the case against Kasha Griffin, 29. Her charging documents say the Trackhawk's plates were found near her Kenosha apartment on March 15th. Um, search warrant for her home discovered a laundry list of items that would be used to steal cars, court documents say. But while the Trackhawks place were found, the Jeep itself was still missing until Monday morning, May 30th. Glendale police confirmed they had found the car near 41st and Good Hope. Um, okay, so Griffin is charged, the, the, the woman, her name is Griffin. She's charged, Kasia Griffin, she's charged with this. Here's the other dazzling detail about this that got my attention. Griffin posted a $100,000 cash bond just last week. So now often now oftentimes you know we talk about you know ridiculously low bails being set, right? Well in this case this is a cash bond. This was not like a signature bond you promised to pay at $100,000. This was a $100,000 cash bond that was paid for with a cashier's check. So I guess that there's two elements of the story that caught my attention. Number one, first of all, you'd assume that the security would be better at the airport. And it seems to me there is a problem. 20 plus cars stolen from the airport, I, I think it is unacceptable. But secondly, one of the suspects posted a hundred thousand dollars, 29 year old woman posts a hundred thousand dollars cash bond which, again, makes me wonder where that money came from. She's got an apartment in, in Kenosha. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, could I come up with a $100,000 cash bond if I was accused of this? Yeah, but but 
Where did she get the money? It just makes you wonder where where the dough comes from. Now, I, I don't know what they do in state courts. In federal court, if you would come in and you would want to post a, a high cash bond, what you would have to do is go through an extensive hearing and show where the money came from and you know what exactly happened. I, I don't know what was done in this case, but you've got this woman who's accused of being part of what is a large car theft ring who she's out on a hundred thousand dollars cash bail i don't question the amount of bail do you think it's interesting where, where did the hundred thousand dollars come from and ask yourself if you know you had a hundred thousand dollars bond would, would you be able to walk in with a cashier's check for it inquiring minds want to know we will focus we'll continue to follow that case but if you think car thefts are limited just to the mean streets of milwaukee well apparently not Apparently, the cars are getting ripped off from the airport as well at what I would argue is an unreasonably large rate. All right. When we come back, should they count? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Could we? Soon be legalized in the Badger State. This week on WTMJ, our very own Melissa Barkley looks at the steps we've taken to approve medical marijuana in Wisconsin, the pros, the cons, and much more. Weed in Wisconsin this week on Wisconsin's Morning News at 5.50 and Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.15. The stories that matter to you on 620 WTMJ. All right. Should they count? Now, in Wisconsin... When we talk about, you know, election reform, there, there's a lot of issues about, okay, you know, who should be able to drop off ballots? And if people fill out the absentee ballots and they make minor mistakes, should the clerk's office be able to fix and fill in and fix those mistakes? Or should they, the, the ballots not be counted because, I don't know, somebody failed to put in the zip code or the full address or whatever, even though the ballot is otherwise a valid ballot. By that, I mean the person was entitled to vote and they did it in a timely fashion. And and these are issues that we're wrestling with. You know, the law has a rule, but, you know, what's the purpose of the law and do you need to strictly enforce it? So this is playing out in Pennsylvania. I want to tell you this, and I really want to get your input as to what you think should happen. Right. There is a hotly contested Republican primary to see who runs for Senate in in Pennsylvania. The um, leader is is Dr. Oz. You know, he he is ahead. But out of over like one point two million votes cast in the Republican primary, he's he's leading David McCormick, who's like a multimillionaire business person, Oz is leading McCormick by about 900 votes. So it, this is out of like two, you know, 1.2 million or so cast. So it, it's it's going into an automatic recount. So that that's it. But Oz is ahead by about 900 votes. And his margin, as they looked at absentee ballots and stuff, has been decreasing but it looks to me like it's going to hold up. I doubt the recount will switch that many votes. But here's where the controversy is. <coughs> In Pennsylvania, the rules are that when you fill out your absentee ballot and you send it in, the ballot, you have to date it. You have to date the outside of the envelope. And during the 2020 presidential election, an an issue arose with, 
you know, what about ballots that are dated before the election, but they're received afterwards? What about ballots that are postmarked before the election, but they're received after election day? Should you count them? Okay, so that's a controversy. Well, that's not what the controversy is here. These ballots that are in question are ballots that were received in the clerk's office on or before election day, right? So that they came in on or before election day. So they were received in a timely fashion. The clerk's office had them. However, on the envelope where you are required to date your ballot, people didn't put the dates in. So they voted in a timely fashion. That They filled it out, they delivered it, or they sent it in, or whatever. So it was received on election day. So it was received in a timely fashion, but it wasn't dated. They didn't date the day they actually voted. But you know they voted bef- you know, when they were entitled to. They voted you know, before election day, or in that case. So what's going on now is Oz, Dr. Oz, he's saying we we shouldn't count any of these ballots because state law says that this has to be dated. And it wasn't dated, even though it was received in time. The challenger, McCormick, is saying, no, 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 we should count them because it was just a technical failure. You didn't put the date on, but we know it doesn't matter what date they would have put on because they, they had to have filled out the ballot before election day because it was received on or before election day got it 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line how should this be resolved state law says the ballot has to be dated the absentee ballot form has to be dated it's not but it was received in a timely fashion should you count it or not is this a material problem and just because somebody forgot to put the date on the ballot, even if, if they got it in on time, should it be counted regardless of what the law says? What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Okay, I, I kind of laid this out. And this is, this is an issue which is going on in the Republican primary in Pennsylvania now. Do you count these absentee ballots? The law says the ballot has to be dated, the outside of the envelope. Okay, people, and several hundred of them, I guess, failed to date the ballots, but they were received in a timely fashion. They got there on or before Election Day, so you know that they were filed in a timely thing. What do you do if they just failed to put the date on? Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How Hi, are Mike. You? Good. What do you think? Well, I guess if the law explicitly says the date has to be on there, kind of like you have to put your correct name and correct address, um, I think then, yes, it has to be followed. If the purpose of the law is to show that it got there on time, and obviously if it's postmarked or it's received before the deadline, then that is serving the purpose, then I guess they should be counted. But it seems to me that the law probably is explicit saying, hey, it has to be dated. Oh, it is. The, the law. The law is explicit. The law says that you know when you, when you fill out that envelope, these are the things that have to be on it. I guess the question though is that, is that is is it fair if it's an otherwise if it is an otherwise legitimate ballot just because somebody forgot to put the date on it, you know they voted in time. Is it fair to them to disqualify their vote? Probably not fair. However. If it is, in fact, the law, then it probably should be followed. I understand the spirit of the law 
is different than the law itself. But um, if it's very clear of what the law says, yeah. I believe you'd have to follow it and then probably try to change it in the future. Yeah, thanks for calling. See, the reason I bring this up is because this is an issue that, that's happening in Wisconsin now. And it, it's, you know, where you have absentee ballots that under the law are required to have this various information on them. And and sometimes people, they, they don't put their full address or whatever. And what's been happening is clerk's offices have been you know going in and they've been filling in the, the, the stuff, the, the stuff that's missing, that uh, when it's what they would call just purely like ministerial, like, okay, you, you don't have, you, you don't have the, the, township you know in there or, or you know whatever you don't have the complete address but you it, it's apparent that you know who it is and who it's from this is kind of the equivalent of that uh, now it's interesting our text all over the map jeff i think you know you have to follow the law fairness has nothing to do with it personally i think the ballot should be counted as this would make sense but begrudgingly i'd say follow the law and get it changed for the next election the law must be adhered to if the law has shortcomings the state legislature must address it jeff i don't think you should count it um all over the map jeff the ballots should not be counted it's the law and they're invalid jeff count it um there is no room in the law but this is only a technicality um we want to encourage voting and then somebody else says, Jeff, fix it and count it. So where do I come down on this? Well, I, I think in this case, the, the law is, is overly restrictive. To me, I, I don't think is – I mean, for example, who cares about the, the date that the person voted as long as the ballot is received in advance? So, I mean, I guess this is – in one respect, it, it really doesn't make any difference, and I would hate to disqualify people's votes. But having said that, this to me is – one of the reasons why, you know, maybe you look at the law and you say, okay, this is this is something that can be waived. You need to change the law. And I guess that's the point that goes back to a lot of the conversations we've been having about the elections over the course of the last year. Do I think that there was election fraud in that, you know, you had dead people voting or people who weren't entitled to vote? No, I, I don't. I, I think what happened in Wisconsin, for example, in 2020, is you had different interpretations of the law which resulted in different jurisdictions handling things in a different way. I believe that you got to follow the law, whatever the law says. And if you want to change the law, then we should get together and change it. To me, it's silly that in a situation like this, you wouldn't count that ballot that was clearly filed in a timely fashion. But at the same time, the law says if you're going to vote absentee, you have a requirement. And one of the requirements is you have to fill out the form and you have to do it completely. So it seems to me if that's the law, you, you follow the law, but then... You know, once you realize that this might have ended up disenfranchising a couple hundred people, well, maybe you look at changing the law. Just saying. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I I actually, I, 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 I like some of the things that the new Milwaukee mayor, Cavalier Johnson, is doing or, or trying to do, and I like some of the things that he's that he's saying. And the, the problem is, well, a lot of the things are, are just 
he inherited problems. The, the ultimate irony was with is Tom Barrett, who kind of stuck his head in the sand for years when it came to violent crime. You know, once Cavalier Johnson takes over, you know, Barrett sitting in Luxembourg has the audacity to say, well, I think he really needs to concentrate on crime, to which you want to say, well, no kidding, Tom. You know, where were you over the last several years? So I understand we throw a lot of ideas up there and we contemplate stuff. I mean, candidly. The, the, the juvenile curfews to me was kind of virtue signaling. It, it's something that, okay, we're, you know, after the Water Street shootings, we're, we're going to give kids $95 tickets. Oh, give me a break. Like that's, like the, the kids care about that, is that that's going to be a deterrent. I don't think so. You know, they're talking about putting fences in downtown Milwaukee for certain events and, and closing off certain areas. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's fair to have a conversation, but does that, does that solve the underlying problem? Not, not really. That, that's a peripheral thing. And then we come to what happened yesterday. Now, by way of background, I think we could all agree that one of the principal problems, one of the many problems when it comes to public safety in the city of Milwaukee is the incidence of, of just reckless driving. It has been going on for years, but I think we would all agree that it has gotten worse. You cannot turn on the television, listen to radio news, or pick up a newspaper, for those of you who still pick up newspapers, on, on a daily basis. You will see a story, and it will be something like, Reckless driver runs red light, hits and kills somebody. Reckless driver fleeing from the police, 95 miles an hour, hits a tree and is dead. You, these are these are the stories. And and we don't hear, we only hear about the reckless driving incidents that, that result typically in somebody dying or somebody being seriously injured or, you know, the result of some police chase where something else spectacular happens. If it's just a situation of somebody driving 95 miles an hour through a, a red light and pulling away. We, you never hear that. And, and that, that's happening on a regular basis. Can I see a show of hands? You know, anybody who's driven in Milwaukee County or the city, but let's even expand the county. You know, how, how many times can I see a show of hands for everybody who has seen somebody driving, let's say, double the speed limit? or somebody who has blown through a red light or has blown through a stop sign who has almost, you've seen him almost hit somebody or maybe even actually do hit somebody and take off. Okay, I see a lot of hands that are up. Okay, so you know that this is happening. So I appreciate that, that reckless driving is a big deal, which brings me to the story. Mayor Johnson calls for universal driver's education funded by insurance companies. And so yesterday they have this press conference and Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson joined by this sort of lefty community group called Common Ground. They come out and they say, we want affordable driver's education for all Milwaukee students. Okay, we want universal driver's ed. Okay, and they also want the car insurance companies to fund it. You know, it's like, oh, we want to do this. We think it's important, but we don't want to pay for it. The group is asking for $1.7 million a year, a year from State Farm, American Family, and Progressive. I have my auto insurance through a different company, so so at least they're not going to get hit. But they want the insurance companies to pay for this. Oh, Okay, I mean... I, I don't know. I'd like to be able to eat all the chocolate I want and not get fat, but that that's okay. 
So they, they want them to pay for it. Okay, fine. And they say this would allow the Milwaukee Recreation Department to offer free driver's education to about 5,000 Milwaukee public schools and 1,000 students from other Milwaukee schools each year. Now, the MPS does offer driver's ed. But MPS, um, they offer free driver's education to about 2,000 students through MPS Drive. But uh, they say there, there's more people that, that want to take it. So I guess there's two ways you could go. One would be to say, all right, you know, we're going to, um, as part of the public schools here, if there's more of a demand for driver's ed, we're going to increase the number of driver's ed programs. That's one way you could go. But they're saying, no, we don't want to do that. We want the insurance companies to pay for it. Well, okay, if it's somebody else's money and you can get them to go along with that, that that's fine. I, I have nothing against driver's ed, you know, being provided. That's not what I think is the interesting aspect of the story. And if Progressive and State Farm and uh, what's the third one and um, American Family decide that they want to pony up a half a million dollars each and they want to pay for, you know, un- for, for driver's ed for people in the city of Milwaukee, I, that, that's okay. That's a business decision or a PR decision. They, they can make it. But here's what I thought was the interesting aspect of the story. He also says... This is a crucial step towards reducing reckless driving. We've got serious issues on the roadways here in the city, and driver's education is one of the many steps we can take. We've got serious issues on the roadways here in the city, and driver's education is one of the many steps we can take. All right, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't want to debate the merits of, gee, you know, do, do we want to have, you know, more kids taking driver's ed? I, I don't think that's that's the question. I, 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 don't, I have no problem with it one way or the other. However, is there, in your opinion, any significant, any real connection between driver's ed and the problem of reckless driving in the city? I mean, seriously, okay, what are you going to do at driver's ed? Are you going to say, all right, um, you're not supposed to flee. We're going to have a day where you say, hey, if the police try to pull you over when you're driving a stolen car, you're not supposed to floor it, drive 90 miles an hour, and run through a red light trying to get away from them. It, I guess I just see this as a complete and total disconnect. Driver's ed in and of itself isn't a bad thing, and if you can get insurance companies to pay for it, go with God. That's great. But does driver's ed have anything to do with the reckless driving problem? When the people blow through red lights at 90 miles an hour and hit pedestrians in the intersection do you think it's because gee they 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 forgot what they had at driver's ed or they didn't take driver's ed i mean it's to me it's one thing it's it's apples and oranges 855-616-1620 and trying to pretend it's something other than that to me is is just useless 855-616-1620 reckless driving driver's ed is there a connection we discuss 855-616-1620. Look, I, I have nothing against driver's ed. And as a general rule, I mean, I think you should have to go through driver's ed before you, you get your license to drive. But that driver's ed is to teach people how to drive responsibly, right? Driver's ed 
isn't designed, I, I think, for the people who decide that they want to drive in a reckless fashion. The people that are out there driving recklessly now, it, it's not because I don't think they know. I, I don't think there's anyone who says, gee, I didn't know when the police tried to pull me over, I wasn't supposed to hit the gas and drive 90 miles an hour. I mean, that that's let's let's have let's be real about this. It wasn't because, gee, I, I didn't driver's ed is going to teach me that I, I wasn't supposed to go through a stoplight or blow away a stop sign when there, there's people there. I mean, driver's ed is designed to teach people how to drive responsibly. The reckless driving is from people who make the conscious decision that they're not going to drive responsibly. And this I think this is just this kind of complete disconnect that's out there. Here, we we want a virtue signal. We've got a problem with reckless driving. So somebody said, well, at least it's a step. but, But it's a step towards what? I mean, is there anybody out there that is driving in a reckless fashion? And look at the people who are driving recklessly. In many cases, it's people who've lost their driver's licenses, don't have driver's licenses, drivers, 14-year-olds who've stolen cars. Okay, universal driver's ed is going to make a difference in stopping that. Again, driver's ed isn't a bad thing, but we're going to try to use this as a way to say we're going to combat reckless driving? I don't think so. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, my only comment is, aren't most reckless drivers over half or more more than half not even old enough to take driver's ed? Well, a good chunk of the stolen cars, it's about 50% people under 16. But, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously there's a, there's a good chunk of reckless drivers who either aren't old enough to have a driver's license or they, they've they've already they've lost their driver's license or never even tried to get a driver's license. So, yeah, you're not going to reach them. No, you're not. Yeah, I no. I, th- I don't think it makes a hell of a difference. No, it no. That's, no, it, it it doesn't. Now, again, do I do I think, you know, it's it's a good thing. I and and if you can get the insurance companies to pony up dough for it, I go for it. I mean, I guess you know, if you want to give more opportunities for kids to get their driver's licenses early on, that that's that's all well and good. But th- this connection. I mean, do you have it? I mean, I guess it's been a while since I took driver's ed class, but I, I don't remember my driver's ed classes. I don't remember us ever having a segment saying, oh, by the way, um, when the police try to pull you over, you shouldn't floor it, drive through three intersections and try to run from them. Or, oh, by the way, if you're driving 110 miles an hour on a city street where the speed limit is 25 and, and you hit a pole, like really bad things are going to end up happening. 855-616-1620. Harold in Grafton. Harold, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, I kind of hear some skepticism from you, and, and to be honest with you, I'm in the same camp, but I changed my mind after my son, a teenager, um, you know, the public schools weren't offering driving uh, classes, and so we had to find one for him to get his license. And um, I I was really impressed, and I think the operative word that you used, um, you know, in terms of how the course is designed can make a difference. You know, when, when we took driver's ed, it was one type of class, uh, mainly just factual stuff. But I think that now they have you know, sort of the class that my son took, I mean, they took him to junkyards and they showed him uh, wrecks, you know, with teenagers that, you know, ran from police or, you know, um, you know that kind of thing or, or drunk driving and what, what the consequences of that could be. 
I know the sense is that something has to be done today, but you know, for for this kind of an issue, it sure seems to me that education and and again, you know, really focused designed education could could have an impact. And you know, they're talking big money here. You know, the one and a half million or whatever a year, one point seven million a year. Yeah. Um, thanks. Yeah. For no, I no, thank, I understand what you're saying, Harold. And I and I guess it's sort of a scare. I, and I, I don't want this segment to sound like I'm anti uh, driver's education. I'm, I, I'm not. Um, and and if you can pick it up for free, that that's fine. And I understand what you're saying about the scared straight things and all. I mean, I just I, I really see this is this is a problem where to me. I understand all the prevention stuff and all, but but to me, it's self-evident. I mean, I, I mean, is there really? Yes, yes, you can show them the movies. I remember those movies that I, you know, I saw when I was in driver's ed. You know, where you you show, you know, the, the horrific accidents of that. I mean, is this really something that in any material fashion is going to say? All right, you're driving that stolen car, and the police want to pull you over. You're you're not going to see how fast you could go because oh, I, I remember I saw that movie, and maybe. Maybe that that's the unicorn, and maybe you can find the one person who ends up saying that. But as a practical matter, is is it a bad thing what they're talking about? Okay, more drivers ed. No, I, it's not a bad thing. But is it going to be anything that moves the needle in any sort of material way? And and my answer would be, I, I think that's just kind of this this pie in the sky thing. I would also argue that if you could get the insurance companies to seriously pony up, what was the number, $1.7 million a year. I would argue if the purpose of this is to crack down on reckless driving, there's a lot of better ways that you could spend that $1.7 million a year with um, safety measures on the streets. Um, I I could, we don't have enough time here, but I, I could give you, I think 10 better uses for $1.7 million than you know, expanding driver's ed. And I'm not anti-driver's ed. Maybe that's something that the Milwaukee Public Schools should be looking at. And maybe that's something that, you know, they should figure out, you know, how to pay for and, and provide. But if the insurance companies were willing to spend $1.7 million, at least let's have a conversation. If the purpose is really to reduce reckless driving, is it better to do it Okay, by expanding driver's ed, or is there stuff that you can do that's going to have a much greater, much more immediate impact, whether it's streetscaping, whether it's more cops, whether it's what? $1.7 million is a lot of money, and my guess is you could do a lot of stuff with that. So on the one hand, I appreciate it. The mayor is trying. That, that That's good. He's at least you know coming up with ideas. Unfortunately, I think we're, we're still... We're still kind of nibbling around the edges at the problem. And right now, the problem is that we, we need to, when you catch the people that are running at 80 miles an hour, when they go through the red lights, you need to arrest them. You need to take their cars away from them. 
and you need to prosecute them. And I don't care whether they're 14 years old or 44 years old. When you catch people who are driving without a license, which is what a good percentage of the reckless drivers are, driver's ed doesn't matter one way or the other. They don't have a valid license to begin with. You need to prosecute them. You need to get them off the streets. You need to provide a disincentive instead of simply saying, here's a ticket, go back and and don't do it again, because we know that does not work. So, again, if you've got $1.7 million from insurance companies and you want to stop reckless driving, come to me. I'll give you 10 ideas that are much more impactful than driver's ed. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Jane Matinair, you caught my attention during your newscast. Of, yes. Of all the wonderful stories that you had and stuff, the, the one that caught my attention, you got three guesses and the first two don't count. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, 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 I sent out a tweet on this. And sometimes, I, I'm not sure people know when I'm kidding or not, but, but my tweet was, darn, my wife and I were looking for a special way to renew our wedding vows, but I guess Elvis has left the building. And I have a link to the story. So Elvis, so the, the company that owns the likeness to Elvis Presley, yes. they're cracking down on the Elvis impersonators. Huh? In, in Las Vegas, appear, it appears for now. So, yep, they have sent cease and desist letters. There must be a whole bunch of Elvis impersonators in Vegas. I oh, yeah. I mean, not to mention the wedding chapels and, and all of that. So this could have far-reaching ramifications. <laughs> well, you wonder how far it goes because you, you've got the Elvis-themed wedding chapels, but you've also got a lot of the, the Elvis impersonators like on the streets that are posing for photos and right. things like that. Right. With that. Have you ever been to... Have you ever been to one of like a themed wedding like that or something? No, me neither. Me no. Neither. Although I, we know we don't know the right people. We, right. <laughs> although, although this this is this is my true Las Vegas wedding story. This is years ago, and I've been on the radio for four or five years, and I'm in Las Vegas with my brother, and we're sitting at the bar. There was a Mexican restaurant in MGM, and we're at the bar, and this woman comes up to me and says, "Are you Jeff Wagner?" I said, "Yeah," and it was it was. It was a, a lady who was a listener from Lake Geneva, and she was there. Uh, it turns out she was there with her husband. Their son was getting married, a- and they were getting married at this chapel, right, in, in the MGM. It wasn't an Elvis wedding, but it was right down the way. Oh, wow. So the wedding party is having a couple drinks before the the event. Okay, so we're, we're talking to them, and they're listeners. We love the show, all that stuff. So they invite us to come to the wedding. Oh, that's hilarious. So... My brother and I, okay. (laughs) We're in Vegas, why not? Absolutely. I mean, how long can it take? So because if they invite us to come to the wedding, what does that mean? We're going to get invited to the the reception afterwards, which is back in the bar. So what it really translates into is free drinks. (laughs) And I have no doubt that, you know, those people are going to go back and they're going to look at their wedding pictures and they're going to see... My brother and I, they wonder, who are those two guys Mom, that are in there? Who yeah. are these people? <laughs> yeah, it's it was, impressive she was able to recognize you, considering you'd only been on the air for a few a years. A couple years yeah. and stuff. No, and she was, she was, had, she worked at a law firm or something like that, Lake Geneva, but it was fine. And then they oh yeah, we listened to all this stuff. And so it was, it, it was great. And I, so we crashed their wedding. I bet it was a ball. It, it, it is, you know, because, um, you know, you drive around. I mean, I, I go to Vegas 
I used to go more, but it would probably go once or twice a year now. But I used to go three, four, or five times. And you, that, that's big, those themed weddings and stuff. And you're always wondering, who, who is it that's getting married there and stuff? Well, and I would always like to check back with them in five years <laughs> to see how that's going. Yeah. So I sent out this tweet. My wife does not follow me on Twitter, but people tell because she's not on Twitter, but people people tell her about this. So I have no doubt that she's going to she's doing something today. She's going to hear, oh, he was telling a story about how he poured red wine all over your friend Kathy yesterday. And now he's talking about like going to Elvis and renewing your vows at a wedding chapel. She'll be so excited. She'll be so excited. Yes, it's yes. You just being married to me is just a day at the beach every day. <laughs> you know, it's just, you never know exactly. What is going to happen? All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. During Jane's newscast, she also mentioned that the Packers are at their OTAs. OTA means optional team activities. And it's where the players all, they they don't have to. It is a voluntary thing. It is not required under the contracts, with the possible exception of rookies. I I don't know about that. But, But players... They, if they come in and, you know, they, they have workouts and it's one of the places where the coaches begin to install the, the offense and, and things like that. So they're optional. You, you do not have to be there. But nevertheless, a lot of veteran players who are interested in, I don't know, meeting some of their new teammates, et cetera, they, they, sh- they show up. They, they participate because you don't have to, but they think it's a good thing and because they think it helps them get ready for the season. Many big-time football players uh, do that as well. Um, the, the reports are that Josh Allen, who's the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, he he's, doesn't have to be there, but he's at Buffalo's OTAs. Um Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes from Kansas City, doesn't have to be there, but but he's there because you know they've they've made some changes and he wants to start the process of working with with his teammates to get ready. Aaron Rodgers, let's see, Aaron Rodgers his new contract will reportedly pay him one hundred fifty point eight million dollars over the next three years for an average of just over fifty million dollars per year. The first two years of the extension are fully guaranteed at signing and are due to pay him forty two million in twenty twenty two and just north of fifty nine point five million in twenty twenty three. So in other words, Aaron Rodgers is making a, a boatload has made a boatload of money. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of his career. He's at the end of his career, it might be next year, it might be two years from now, it might be three years from now, we don't know. But next year, he, he's due to make $42 million. Aaron Rodgers is not at the OTAs, despite the fact that the Packers on offense have had many, many changes uh, during the offseason. We, we all know Devontae Adams left to go to Las Vegas. Um, you had another one of his receivers, Valdez Scantling, who signs he's going to go somewhere else. You've got rookie receivers that are coming in. You, you have new receivers that you've picked up in free agents acquisitions. You think offense is going to be a little different. Aaron Rodgers is not under a contractual obligation to show up, but he could have, and he decided not to. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What, if anything, does that say? I mean, I guess on the one hand, it's like he's not supposed to be there. He's, you know, Aaron Rodgers. You know, he can pick this up. He, he doesn't have to work with these new guys. He can learn when he shows up for training camps or the mandatory stuff. I guess that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is that 
you're making $42 million. The team wants to get to the Super Bowl. That's all, there's all these new players. You know, if you were really, if you really cared about the team, would you drag your butt to Green Bay and, you know, spend a day or two getting to know the people that you're going to be hopefully going to the Super Bowl next year with? 855-616-1620. He didn't have to be there. But as I frequently say on this program, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. And the flip side of it is just because you don't have to do something doesn't mean you shouldn't do something. Should Rogers have showed up at OTAs? 855-616-1620. And if you can tell from my tone, if it were me, and I was making all that money, and I was towards the end of my career, and I badly, badly, badly wanted to get back to the Super Bowl. You know what? I think I could have found a couple days to show up and meet my new teammates. And that doesn't mean that he's not going to be an all-pro quarterback, and it doesn't mean that they might not get back to the Super Bowl. But, you know, image, in any event, you know, just showing up. I think is so important, and showing up maybe sends the message to your teammates that you you are in fact committed and you're into that. And you know, maybe meeting these rookies, maybe it would have meant something that hey, Aaron cares enough that that he's going to really show up and commit himself to working this year. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I admit I'm disappointed that he chose not to, even though he didn't have to. How about you? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. Yeah, no more Vegas weddings involving Elvis, at least for the time being, till they can work it out. Oh, okay, and this is a story from the world of sports, but actually, it's kind of a larger story than that. That right now, the Packers are in OTAs, optional team activities, which is are, are voluntary workouts. But you've got the rookies there, you've got a lot of players there. The Packers are in the process of retooling their offense. You've got a lot of new receivers. Um, Aaron Rodgers didn't have to be there didn't have to be there but he could have and once again he's chosen not to show up they're paying him 42 million bucks this year it goes up to 60 million dollars next year i know he didn't have to be there but you know i think if it were me and there were all these new players and i was at the end of my career and you got one or two more shots to try to get to the super bowl if nothing else just to show my new teammates that i really cared about them and i cared about the team i think i would have gotten my butt to green bay for a day or two 855-616-1620 let's start with dick in west bend dick you're on wtmj thanks jeff for taking my call sure here's how i look at it i mean if you're a team player whether um, you're near the end of your, you know, yeah. career or the start of it, you want to do whatever you can to make the team successful. Yep. So my, in my opinion, you just show up, you do what you got to do, and yes, it's it's just like employees that are salaried or, you know, players that are contracted out. Right. You do what you can to make the team work. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I, I'm kind of with you, Dick. And again, there, there's a lot of us that make a lot less money than, than somebody like Aaron Rodgers. But nevertheless, regardless of where you are in your career, you know, maybe there, there's something that's going on, and you say, you know, th- this is this is good for the station, this is good for the company, or 
whatever, and I've been treated very fairly by them, and I've done very well. And I guess I I could beg off on this. I could say, no, I really – I don't want to participate in the the holiday radio show anymore. You know, we've done that for several years. I just don't want to do it. Okay, you you could maybe say that, um, and it's not mandatory, but who does that? It's kind of like, no, this is something that, you know, we we do, and and so, yeah, you you show up. Now, I I like doing the holiday radio show, but I was just trying to think of an example of something in our – in in my job where it's like yeah okay that's you know we're we've we've got you know it's a night that you have to go out and again i i enjoy doing this but it's not mandatory but it's like oh i'm going to show up i'm going to be with my teammates we're going to do this 855-616-1620 let's see jeff aaron Rodgers is a selfish jerk and he should have been traded last year he thinks it's all about um him um let's see jeff um I think the new players are trying to learn the Packer season, not so much to meet Aaron Rodgers. There'll be enough time for mandatory practices. Well, but but Aaron Rod, they're learning the system. They're they're running plays and things like that. You know, maybe it's Aaron Rodgers getting acquainted with them as well. Like, I, look, I'm not saying this decision not to go to OTAs is going to cost them a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But there's a lot of big time quarterbacks who decided they were going to show up. Um, and try to work with the team. Jeff Aaron Rodgers only cares about Aaron Rodgers. It's what the Packers and other players can do for him. And if there is uh, no Super Bowl ring at the end of the uh, coming season, I think it, he'll blame the Packers and the other players' fault, um, not his. Um, let's see, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think it would mean a lot to everyone, not just the teammates, for him to show good faith for the people of Wisconsin and demonstrate that he's in it to win it. Jeff, it would be better for the whole team to participate. However, you can't give someone an option and get upset if they choose the wrong one. Oh, no, no, no. See, I actually, I I disagree with that. I mean, you, like I, I said earlier, I think... It's very, very clear that just because you have to do something, just because you don't have to do something, doesn't mean you shouldn't do that thing. So, I mean, I, I, I understand that contractually you have an option. You don't have to be there. But wouldn't it be nice to be there? You know, wouldn't that overall be sending the, the appropriate message to your teammates and the fans and the coaches and all? I mean, if you say, okay, well, look, I, this is my off season here. I'm going to take a couple days. And yes, I know I'm playing in this golf tournament tonight, but I'm, I'm even, I'm going to show up for a day or two. I, then I won't stay for the whole thing, but I'll even, I'll, I'll come in. I'll be there for a day and then I've got to, you know, um, fly out. Um, Jeff, I don't think in the big picture, Aaron Rodgers missing OTAs will make any difference on their performance. However, I agree. It's bad optics, and it's probably why he's never endeared himself to the entire Packer fan base while he is, you know, been there. Yep. Um, you know, there's, there's that that's as well. Um, Jeff, I'm not at all surprised that Aaron didn't show up because Aaron only cares about Aaron. If he truly loved the team, as he says, he would be there. But again, I think he only loves Aaron. Is this the end of the world? No. But again, wouldn't it have been nice for him to decide to show up? Let's talk to Craig. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? Good, Craig. What do you think? Well, you know, I guess it's not mandatory. And, and my thing is, we're, we've been used to the quarterbacks that have always given everything. We'll go back to Brett Fire. He'd be there. 
Yeah, Aaron Bart Rodgers Starr. Bart guy. Starr. Bart Starr would be there. Correct. Right. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is a different duck. And, you know, every time someone doesn't catch the ball, he shakes his head and looks disgusted. He never makes mistakes. But again, we're talking Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks. Right, thanks. He's different again. And I, as somebody texted me, said, "Would you go to work if you didn't have to?" Well, I, I don't know. You, you all, every once in a while, my guess is most people, every once in a while, you, you, quote unquote, take one for the team. My guess is for a lot of us, there are occasions where, yeah, we have done things that we haven't had to do, technically, but you've done them because. Okay, the, your, the, the company needs you to do it. Um, and, and I mean, in our industry, I can just, I can think of all sorts of times where people, yeah, here, we'll, we'll pick up that extra shift or, or whatever, or yeah, we'll come in and we'll work election night or something like that. It's not required. Or, or yeah, we'll do the holiday radio show. All, all sorts of things that aren't necessarily required. And maybe there's something else that somebody would rather do, but you know, they, you know, the, the boss calls and says, gee, can you be around? Uh, we, we'd like to have you on for an hour because there's a special thing that's going on. And, and yeah, you could say no. But, you know, I think most of us say, yeah, OK, that, that's the type of thing to do. And my guess is in your business and in your life, you can probably think of, of those sort of examples as well. And we're all making a heck of a lot less than Aaron Rodgers. Is it the end of the world? No. But again, I'm just thinking for forty two million dollars this year. Yeah, I, I, I think I would have showed up in Green Bay for a, a day, even if it wasn't required. That's just me. Are, are you a golf fan? You're not a golfer, are you? I am not. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember Michelle Wee, the, the female golfer? Yes. It, it's, it, it, this is sort of an interesting thing. Michelle Wee, who she's 32 years old now, time, time flies, and she's apparently getting ready to play in her, her last event. She says she's pretty much going to retire after the, the, the U.S. Open this year. But it's one of these interesting things. She burst into America's consciousness um, when she was like 15 years old in 2004, and she, she, got, she was a child prodigy. But she started off, she was playing against men. Remember, she got into, she got these exemptions when she was like 15 years old to play like in the, the Hawaii Open and stuff. So she was playing against men at the age of 14 or 15. And it's interesting because she's, she's had a fine career, but it never really matured. Exploded. It, right. It, you know, she, she won a major tournament and she won like four LPH things. I've always wondered, I remember this conversation at the time, whether her parents and handlers were making the right decision when she was a kid to here we're going to turn we're going to you know have you play against men and we're going to you know uh, carve you out some like special sort of niche as opposed to if she had just you know followed the more the traditional circuit. route whether yeah. whether her career would have been more successful or sometimes i think you know everybody wants to be tiger woods but tiger woods they don't that doesn't come along very often no it doesn't and i think Sometimes parents push their children to achieve something that they wish they had achieved. Right, right, yeah. And I'm sure she, I mean, I'm sure she went along with it, and she suffered some injuries and stuff. But I, I always remember at the time, and there the conversations about whether whether you're doing your child a favor by saying, okay, you're 15 years old, and you're really, really good, but so let's capitalize on this, and let's let's have you go play against male golfers to get the headlines, as opposed to... Okay, let's let's concentrate on seeing if you can build a career. It's it, it's it's an interesting choice to make. You know, cash in early, right? Or or again, let her develop naturally and see where that would have taken her, right? And 
31, I, I don't know golfers, and I don't know what age they retired. That just seems really young It is to young. Me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have, you have, I mean, you have golfers that are playing competitively for their entire life right. and stuff. So that's, um, it's kind of, you, I always used to think about that with, with these these high school kids who go right to the NBA, and I you, and now I know that the, you have to go to college, quote unquote, for, for for a year before you get drafted. But you have a lot of these players that you just wonder. I understand they want to cash in, but are they really big picture? Is it in their best interest to suddenly go play against the LeBron Jameses of the world? I, mean, don't, I don't know what the answer is. Well, you think about the maturity level and, and all of those other things. And I guess on the on the flip side, it's like, what if this is as good as he ever is? You know, well, right. Or you get hurt. I mean, that, that right. happens sometimes, sure. you know, especially in sports. You know, you, you, you blow out your knee at the age of 16 or 17 you're and done. you're yeah you're done interesting in any event michelle we this is the u.s women's open is coming up it's going to be her last tournament she says she'll play one more next year but she's uh she doesn't want to use the retire word but her, her career you all you thought that she was going to be the female tiger woods and again taking nothing away from her because she won different tournaments and stuff it's never quite developed All right, now for something completely different. Um, there's, there is a, a federal law which says that manufacturers of guns cannot be sued, as a general rule, for things that people do with the guns. That the argument is that guns are a legal product and it would just be like, for example, it'd be like cars. You know, cars are a legal product. You can't sue Ford, or I, you can't sue the car maker if the the guy, the, what Daryl Brooks, the Waukesha Christmas Parade massacre guy, he he drives his car through the down the street and hits and kills six people and injures dozens and dozens more. You can't sue the car manufacturer saying, you know, they they made a car. Because cars are, are legal and they're they're fine if you use them for intended purposes, you, so you can't sue the car manufacturer because they had the car, right? The same principle applies in federal law to to gun manufacturers. They are protected. You cannot sue them because somebody uses them in a fashion that they weren't intended. That's the general rule, which brings me to this story. Um, you may remember that. In, and it's tough to keep track of all the different mass shooting cases we have. But you might remember in, in mid-April, there was this story out of New York where you had the guy who had, had some ties to Wisconsin, as I recall, who um, shot 30 people, you know, on that, that New York subway train. You know, re- remember that, that story? And he, he shot 30 people and all. And he driven, I think he had driven from Wisconsin, you know, to, to New York, ultimately. There's always seems like there's some tie to Wisconsin, unfortunately. So anyhow, that one of these women, she, she was one of the people that was, was shot, you know, by the, the subway shooter. She's filed a lawsuit in federal court in, in New York. And she is suing the manufacturer of the gun that the guy used, Glock. He had a Glock, which is a particular brand of, you know, firearm. Her argument, and Glock is one of the nation's largest gun makers, she said, okay, here, here's what you did that was wrong. She said you improperly marketed your firearms by emphasizing their high capacity, their easy concealment, 
and other features that appeal to purchasers with criminal I- intent. So she's saying, look, I'm not arguing that, you know, you should be liable because you you sold, you know, a, a gun and the gun itself was used to shoot me. But I am arguing that the way you marketed your gun, you did it in a way that you knew would appeal to criminals um, or people who were inclined to acting out improperly, high capacity, easy concealment and other various features. Um, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So she's suing. The issue, of course, I think is going to be whether or not this this type of lawsuit gets around the, the general immunity that uh, gun manufacturers have. But but what do you what do you think about it? It's a legal product, but the argument is they're marketing this gun essentially to make it appeal to criminals, and so that marketing should make them liable. Do you think there's any merit to a suit like that? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620. So the argument is against, the the woman is suing Glock because the, the crazy subway shooter, Frank James, shoots a bunch of people, and the argument is that Glock created this situation because they're advertising, you know, highlighted that these guns were easily concealable and that they had high capacity, and that made them attractive to criminals. So, therefore, they should somehow be liable. 855-616-1620. Jeff, this is very similar to the movie Runaway Jury. I'm not a big NRA guy, but if this goes through, what's to say you can't sue, you know, um, motor car manufacturers for most car accidents? Well, that's that is an interesting point. What if, for example, you say, hey, look, I'm looking at this ad. Um, I, I just saw this ad for fill-in-the-blank car, Hondas or Toyotas. I saw an ad for, for Toyotas, and they showed the acceleration of the Toyotas, and they showed it went from zero to 60, you know, in, in this fashion, and it showed it handled really smoothly going through that slalom course. So, okay, could you then sue the car manufacturer because somebody – I don't know, use that car to drive away fast. Here, you know, we had somebody who was fleeing the police, and because Toyota, in this example, you know, manufactured the car and advertised that the car could go really fast in a hurry, um, um, all right, that made it more attractive to somebody who might run from the police. So I just, I, I throw that, I throw that out there. I actually think that this is a bridge too far. I think that... What, as long as it is a legal product, what happens is I think it's I just don't think you should be able to sue manufacturers unless the product is defective or alternatively, you know, if somebody misuses it. Now, clearly, you know, if you want to sue somebody, the person that you sue is is the guy that was involved in the shooting. This is Frank James. Uh, unfortunately, from the perspective of the victims, my guess is that the shooter doesn't have a pot to you know what in. So you know, suing him is an exercise in futility. So what you have to do is you have to figure out, I'm going to figure out a way to sue some people that, that might have money so I can collect. I mean, I had a law school professor, the late, great Jim Giardi, always said, you can sue anybody, but the question is, you know, can you collect? Otherwise, you know, if you can't collect, you get a judgment, you put the piece of paper up on the wall, and that and 25 cents or a dollar nowadays gets you a cup of coffee. 855-616-1620. At the same time, I appreciate that people are 
you know, outraged at the proliferation of guns. And this is, I think, a backdoor way to try to put manufacturers out of business. Is it legitimate? 855-616-1620. Chris in Greenfield. Chris, you're first. Hello. Hello, good morning, or afternoon. Um, afternoon. I was just listening to, you know, the comments about this lady suing uh, Glock, and it'll be very interesting to see how the judgment turns out on this. And the reason I say that, yesterday on Good Morning America, they had an advertisement from a high-powered rifle with a little boy sitting there holding it in his lap, and his dad's hand in the picture, and the and I don't know the exact words to it, but the thought was, teach your children young so that they know how to handle themselves when they get older. Mm-hmm. And since then, that gun advertisement has been taken off the Internet or wherever it was being advertised. But, um, again, you're trying to, you know, help in, uh, incent uh, showing your children how to use these high-powered weapons, mm-hmm. and is that really something that you know they need to do? So I'm just interested mm-hmm. to find out how this is going to be. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think about? Let's say, and, and I haven't seen the the ads that that like the the, the gun manufacturers running, but let let's say that you're marketing your guns for somebody in Wisconsin, for example, with a concealed carry permit who, who wants it for self-defense. And so you're saying, okay, our, our gun is lightweight. It's, you know, it, it, you can easily carry it in a concealed fashion. And if you're worried about your safety, it's a nine millimeter pistol. So it's got some stopping power. So they're, they're advertising all these features, which make it popular perhaps with somebody who wants to use it for a law-abiding purpose but also might appeal to a criminal hey you know i i can i can hide the gun easier and i've got the bullets do you think they should be liable in some in a case like that in in a case like that no i really don't um i think that you know everybody's entitled to you know try to sell their wares however i do feel that and i also feel that uh, I don't care what um, an advertisement says. It's always it could always be you know yeah. the item could always be used for something vicious. Yeah. So you know um, it's but it'll be interesting to see if there would be any liability on this uh, through the court system. Yeah. No. Thanks. I no. I think it's going to be fascinating because, like I say, there, there's a general statute that says gun manufacturers are, are liable are not liable because it's it's a legal product. This is tried to it's, it's a way to try to get around that. Whether it'll work I I don't know. Now one of our texters says same thing about cigarettes, you know, sue the company for advertising to kids. Well that that's that's true. I mean the cigarette manufacturers, you know, got nailed with with huge lawsuits because in that particular case, you know, under 18, they, the advertising that they found was directed at, at children and was directed at, at trying to, you know, get kids, hey, uh, smoke camel cigarettes. Here we, we've got this, this, you know, we've got this cartoon camel and doesn't this look cool? And the, the manufacturers ended up getting sued successfully by for these allegations that they were illegally marketing to children. This is a little bit different because I don't know that the ads I don't I don't think that you can say they're they're marketing to criminals. They're probably again marketing to I don't know the people who want to, you know, 
be able to legitimately use the gun, the concealed carry holders, et cetera, et cetera. And those same characteristics that might appeal to a concealed carry holder, in my example, might also apply to a criminal. So it's slightly different, but it is the kind of same theory. And if if lawsuits like this are successful, you know that there's going to be a huge batch of them that are coming. And this is one of the sort of backdoor ways that you, you really hurt the gun industry for people who want to do it because you just keep suing them and suing them, suing them. Every time there's a firearm that is is misused, you argue, hey, you know, that this this gun, you know, was marketed to criminals, etc. Tough to necessarily prove, but um, it is, I think Chris is absolutely right. It's interesting and it's well worth watching. The suit was just filed last week, so it's in the very early stages.